Hello and welcome to The 100 Podcast. It's Ed here with you. Hope you're well. No Charlie today. He's obviously behind the scenes at Phoenix Camp, so he's busy getting loads of behind-the-scenes stuff. You all catch up with him down the road. But for now, for a little look through the tournament so far, I'm joined by Lancashire and former Manchester Originals analyst Max Backhouse. Max, how you doing, mate? Hi. It's nice to be here again. Uh, good to catch up with you. It's really good to catch up because I think the last time we talked was just before the draft and we were kind of running through how the teams were forming at that point. And now here we are a couple of weeks into the tournament, we can kind of get a better sense of how this is all kind of developed, really. It's interesting, isn't it? It's sort of uh, looking at some of the teams, some of the teams that you were saying need to find their main course, just have the garlic bread on the side and... Maybe they still haven't found their main court. Um, need to go back to Nando's. Some of the teams obviously hit the ground running. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? There's there's no one team has sort of stamped their authority on the competition yet. Um, so we might see that over the next week or so, which would be really interesting. And we will get to, I think, the team you're referring to there, the Welsh Fire, who by all accounts, according to an ESPN Crick Info article that was uh, released before the tournament, maybe spent a little bit too much time in Nando's and other less family-friendly establishments during the tournament last year. But, but let's start with the teams who I think are kind of looking good at the moment. The two teams who've played 2-1-2, maybe two teams that we kind of had penciled as mid-table sides, the London Spirit and the Trent Rockets. I think on early evidence, Max, the Trent Rockets are potentially stronger than maybe we assumed before the tournament. Obviously, small sample size, but so far they've put away two decent sides. Yeah, I think they've uh, they've got off to a good start, haven't they? There's maybe not been uh, questions asked of that batting lineup, which um, I think you highlighted uh, preseason to be a potentially lacking in a little bit of depth um but their top order has looked after that so far um they've seen teams off early uh the bowling obviously uh Shamsi coming in covering for Rashi Khan is going to be a key theme of their tournament how he can go can he provide the real star quality that Rashi Khan had last year that dragged them into finals um but yeah they're off to a good start aren't they what does it mean to have a really good leg spinner on your side? Because I think everyone kind of talks through it a lot about the importance of it. Obviously, at Lancashire, you have one of the best in the world, and Matt Parkinson. When you have Rashid Khan, when you have Tabray Shamsi, two world-class players coming in, even though their bowling maybe looks a bit weak, what does that actually bring to your side? I think you can often see an opposition having to think about uh, your gun spinners overs, not just whilst they're happening, but before they're happening thinking about where where they're going to be after those overs. We're seeing it a lot when we talk about oval with Narine as well. You're seeing teams have to go after other bowlers because they know they're not going to be able to take those overs from Narine or Shamsi or whoever for too many. So you often find that teams think around it so much to the point that other bowlers might benefit. Um, so... Obviously, uh, Luke Wood's been taking the new ball going early. And we might see that teams feel they have to target even his first five balls so much more because they're scared about not catching up, uh, which might then benefit Woody to get more wickets in that first set. 
Obviously, you work a lot with Luke Wood as well. I, I think since he's le- left Nottinghamshire, might have put on a little bit of pace as well. He's kind of pushing into those mid-80s a lot. He's swinging the ball. He he looks like someone who the Rockets are going to depend on a lot. But I kind of think he's ready for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's coming into a prime stage of his career, isn't he? He's um, included in England's uh, ODI squad for the uh, Netherlands series. And that's probably reflective of where he is right now. And this could be the tournament that you see him go from one of the players in this squad to to a really top, top player for them. And then obviously you have you know a good um, opening bowler. And Luke Wood's also been good at the death as well. You've got that gun leg spinner. Samet's been Samet Patel, who's consistently just a very, very good operator. I guess my question with the Rockets is, can the rest of the bowlers necessarily match up with that obviously March and is not playing and they're playing Daniel Sams instead who has potentially a little bit of a mixed record then you're kind of sprinkling a little bit of Matt Carter Luke Fletcher Sam Cook Ben Mike I mean I, I guess the question for them is with those you know really good operators who are going well can the other 40 50 deliveries keep up with that in effect yeah, and I think that's that's something that we've not seen yet, is it? We've we've not really seen them be put under intense pressure. Um, at some point, perhaps at Trent Bridge, perhaps elsewhere, a team is going to get off to a flyer. They may well play Champsy well. They may play Wood and Sam's well. It, where that team is able to go, do they have another level to really crush a quality batting lineup? Remains to be seen for me. Um but that could well be the difference between whether they finish mid-table or whether they're knocking on the top two again. Yeah, I think it's kind of a similar issue with the batting, really, in terms of the depth. Again, the Phoenix didn't take many wickets um, against the Rockets in the opening game, the Superchargers, and when they played, the Rockets were without David Willey, so they didn't really have a wicket-taker other than Adil Rashid in the side. Potts, Visa, Van der Merwe, DJ Bravo, Ben Rain are fine operators, but they're not wicket-takers. I suppose the issue for the Rockets comes when maybe a team could nip out Hales and Milan early, Joe Root's away, and suddenly you've got Mullaney and Gregory and Samet, who are all kind of out of form at five, six, seven, even though they do boast a little bit of bang depth with Sams and Wood. Is that a concern in your mind for them, that if that top order can't dominate then the middle order might not quite be able to back it up. And again, if that's the case, do we potentially see the top order like last year being overly conservative, which ultimately kind of limits their ceiling? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's that top order is definitely what they're expecting to do the business. Um, They'll have concerns about the middle order being consistent. I think there's quality operators in there but it perhaps lacks a bit of consistency. Um, at the moment, having had Root around as a, a sort of bonus for them, it's allowed the top order to be slightly more free. Um, I think Milan is one that over the last uh, six to 12 months, you've seen him really trying to up his game in terms of starting quickly. It's been a theme in the past that people have criticised him for striking under 100 in his first 10 balls. I think I saw the other day he's at uh, sort of low 130s, which is pretty strong. Um, And we know how good a player he is when he gets in. 
but whether he feels like he can keep playing like that if there isn't the depth, that will be the question for them. I suppose that's going to be the issue when they come up against a team that maybe have a little bit more firepower in the bowling department. We've seen good results in the Rockets so far, even though they maybe haven't been tested in the areas they're weak. Do you think they're a contender, not just for top three, but potentially the title this year? Uh, short answer, no. Um, <laughs> I I think they've got off to a good start. And obviously in short tournaments like this, momentum's massive. Um, it's obviously only eight games. They've won the first two. So they're already not going to be in the bottom couple. But I, I'm not sure there's enough there for me to win a title. Um, I think they could get themselves into finals contention. But winning the first two is never as valuable as winning the last two going into finals. And there's going to be question marks at the back end of the tournament for them. Very interesting. Okay, we'll, we'll keep an eye on the Rockets then as they go. The other team who've started very well are the, you know, the worst side from last year's tournament, the London Spirit. They come in massively changed, to be fair. Um, obviously, some huge additions, including Kyron Pollard, Glenn Maxwell, and they've basically got the entire Hampshire bowling attack who just won the blast. So obviously, they're considerably improved, and they just put away the Manchester Originals in very impressive fashion the other night. Obviously, they're going to lose Zach Crawley at some point, but Maxwell, Morgan, Pollard, Thompson, and then you have the bowlers. You have um, Wood, Dawson, Ellis, Crane. There's lots to like about the London Spirit this year because they were really poor last year, but they seem to be a very changed side, specifically on the bowling side of things. Yeah, I think uh, obviously you've, you've touched on uh, Crawley's going to leave at some point. Um their batting lineup looks settled at the moment. It looks like people know their roles. You've obviously got a very fresh-looking Morgan uh, coming in there with serious form, sort of wandering the way he did in that first game. Um, so they look good. It, when Crawley goes, it looks like Bell Drummond will probably come into that role, who's come off the back of championship form, perhaps better than blast form. Um and how he comes in and settles into that side probably could be quite a big big thing for them. Absolutely. And I think what kind of interests me about them specifically is less about the batting, but more about their bowling. I know they've got the stars on the batting side of things, but they've effectively brought in this Hampshire attack. You have Dawson and Crane. Dawson's had a very good year. Crane's maybe less so, but a, a decent leg spinner. You've got Nathan Ellis, who's kind of, I, I guess, kind of come out of nowhere and dominated the blast. I mean, people I think kind of had decent expectations for him. I don't know how you thought about him before before this tournament, but he, he's come and dominated the blast and then looked very, very good in the 100 as well. Yeah, obviously his big bash record's got better year on year for a few years now. Um, he's got recognition out of the IPL. So he come, he came in with a bitter pedigree. Um, I think he's even exceeded that. Um, Hampshire will have been hoping for, for good returns for him, but the fact that we're seeing him as a replacement into this tournament not picked up in the first place probably tells you where Spirit thought he was six months ago. Um, but he looks the real deal right now, doesn't he? Um, he was exceptional again on finals day in the blast. He started the tournament well here and it's going to be massively important for them. We saw how important it was to have uh, Adam Milne for Phoenix last year, having that really dependable overseas quick 
can take you a long way in these tournaments. When you have a gun seam like that, who's clearly very good at the death, and then you have the experience of Chris Wood, and you can maybe debate if they play Brad Wheel instead, but they definitely have the horses that they maybe didn't have last year. What's interesting about this side, and I think actually quite interesting about the tournament in general, is they don't really have a fifth bowler. A lot of the teams in this tournament have a similar thing where they're kind of depending on a number of guys to fill that fifth bowler role. The London Spirit have seemingly settled on Jordan Thompson, to do that, who at times has been expensive, specifically the death, even though they have some other options, maybe the likes of Pollard, maybe the likes of Ravi Bapar in the last game, Glenn Maxwell. They have other options, but they, they seem to really be backing Jordan Thompson. Is this a case with Jordan Thompson in where we're seeing a guy really break out? Or is this a case of kind of a small sample size and maybe Owen Morgan's kind of being tricked into going deep into this fifth bowler notion when you have Maxwell and Pollard who can fulfil roles? I think a lot of Yorkshire fans would be quite disappointed to hear you talk about him as a fifth bowler who's kind of on the fringes of their bowling attack. I think they have a a hell of a lot of faith in him. Um, He came up in some big moments for them through the blast. And I think Morgan's probably backing him as almost that sort of X-factor bowler that, that hits those big moments and delivers under pressure. Um, He is one of those that has the potential to go really quickly one way or the other. Um, In terms of, you see him have overs where he turns the game and takes two wickets, goes for one, goes for two, something like that. And you see him have plenty of overs where he goes for 15, 20 plus. Um, so I think they'll have to be aware of that slight inconsistency, but equally he has some serious skills that a lot of teams will be looking for. So I think they probably do see him as straight up their fifth bowler with the idea that Maxwell will get used on certain grounds. Um, Obviously the other night with that really short boundary against the originals, using your part-time off spinner, probably less so. But when they go away to some of the bigger grounds, I think we'll probably see Maxwell bowl 10, 15, even 20 ball as a genuine third spinner. I think I've kind of described John Thompson in the past as the exact kind of bowler you want if you're defending four off the final over, but the exact kind of bowler you don't want if you're defending 15 off the final over. He he, he does have that in him. And I think at certain times he really flashes what he can do. He's just expensive. But I guess that's almost the kind of way you have to play in the hundred where there's a lot of seamers injured. Jordan Thompson certainly isn't the worst seamer in this tournament. And he's just doing his job and doing it well. I'm kind of interested in your perspective and how you go about building that attack. Because at times with Lancashire, you have kind of had to come up with creative solutions, maybe with injuries or players away from England. For example, Luke Wells has bowled quite really nicely for you at times throughout the blast. When maybe you've lost a couple of seamers or a couple of players and you're depending on a couple of ranger bowlers, how do you kind of go about working out how you're going to balance that attack? Is it you know, knowing that Luke Wells is up your sleeve and on a slower surface or a surface with longer boundaries, you can use him? Or other games, you know, well, we're just going to, you know, we're going to back Danny Lamb um, to bowl at the death and we maybe won't use Luke Wells as much. How do you kind of go about working out how that attack's going to work game to game? 
Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think a lot of teams will have quite different answers to that question. A lot of Lancashire, our attack is generally built on perhaps consistency more than that sort of wild characters that change the game quickly one way and then perhaps change it accidentally back the other way. So a lot of our uh, game plan is more along the lines of squeezing teams. And I think that's fairly obvious looking from the outside. The really interesting thing is, as you say, when uh, you go to maybe your sixth, seventh, eighth choice bowlers, how those get used. And this is one of those things that you see trends around the world. Um, There was obviously for a while a lot of sneak through and over first up from your part-time spinner. That got used for quite a long time. Um, a lot of teams have gone to a sneak and over through directly after a wicket. But equally, a lot of people have tried to steer away from that and gone, well, actually, the best time for us to strike and take more wickets is directly after a wicket. So we're going to go the other way and bring our best bowler on. Um, so it really has to work for the individual. Um, and without knowing any of those bowlers particularly well, um, they've got to be comfortable knowing what their role is in that moment. So if it's Maxwell coming in as your sixth bowler, let's say there, he needs to know if he's being asked to go on and try and sneak through a quick over or whether he's being asked to come on and really attack. And that needs to be something that Morgan will communicate because it equally could be either. It could be that there's two left-handers in, the pitch is turning a bit, and they're saying, we see you right now as a genuine attacking threat, which you won't be later in the innings to two right-handers. So that's where that kind of, that captaincy uh, and really knowing your players comes in and becomes a really important thing rather than just the bowler being alone at the top of the mark and having to make his own decision. I guess we're though and Morgan there obviously we've got someone who's seen it all. So he's gonna he's gonna know how he's gonna go about things. I'll ask the same question for the London Spurs to the Trent Rockets with that basically Hampshire's bowling attack and some other options there and some then some really nice players at the bat. After being the worst team last year, are they a contender this year? I don't think anyone would begrudge them if they were. Um I would hesitate to back them in for a title but I think they could be there or thereabouts for third place, let's say. When people like Crawley go, how those replacements step in will be massive for them. They've hit the ground running. They've got a few form players, but not sure it's enough to go all the way. So we've got two teams who've won two, played two, and neither of them in your mind are quite at the top. So when you look through the other teams and the other stronger teams have had good starts maybe the invincibles and the phoenix have come back and won a game um the other night you've got the southern brave in there as well yeah who are in your mind out of those kind of teams or the rest of the teams of the league the, the real contenders the ones that you're thinking that i really fancy them? i mean i think you'd be mad to not favor the brave um in some way the, the really interesting ones for me are the invincibles because at their best they look sublime at their worst, they look a train wreck. Um, I mean, even just in the game last night uh, against Superchargers, 
Adam Live put them to the sword early on and it really looked like they could have been conceding 180-190. So to have both the ability to pull that back but also the problems to have gone for that in the first place um, probably shows where they're at right now. They really are the kind of team that could go out and beat anybody but equally I'd be surprised if they don't lose another one. Obviously they've got concerns over the form of Jason Roy and a couple of others that haven't maybe quite started the tournament the way they want to. I think Phoenix are likely to be there thereabouts again. Their bowling obviously was called into question a couple of times last year. And that's going to be a theme again. Um, they've tried to address it and how that holds up over the tournament is going to be what determines whether they're a side that really pushes deep into finals. Yeah, I think Charlie would probably want me to mention this on the Phoenix. Obviously, last year they struggled specifically with their second, third seamer slots. They tried to sort that out by bringing in Ollie Stone um, and Matt Fisher, um, and they also brought in Kane Richardson. Obviously, Stone is injured, Fisher is injured, and Chris Wokes is injured. Adam Milne also now injured. If the Phoenix had all four of those bowlers and you paired them with Howell and Tahir and Moe and Livingston, however you wanted to work that out. In your mind, do you think they'd be the clear favourites in this tournament? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that's one of those that they've, they will have gone in knowing that. that they know Ollie Stone's uh, injury record. They knew probably by draft time that there were question marks over a couple of the others as well. So they've not gone in expecting that that was going to be their uh, their bowling attack for game one. But they would have obviously hoped to have a few more of them available. Um, as you say, that's really going to be the question mark, isn't it? How their backup bowlers uh, stand up to the pressure. Henry Brooks has started the tournament really well. Um, another sort of young lad who's shown at times quite how great he can be, but also been quite expensive at times. Um, so I feel like he in particular will be one that becomes a big part of whether they have success or not. How, at that point, when you, you kind of lose all of those bowlers, how important is it for the guys that are, you know, the big money, potentially overseas guys to really perform he's already got Benny Howell there who's excellent last year looks good this year Kane Richardson's going to come in and do a job I think if he he's well something more back of the length than he did in the first game I think he's going to improve on that and obviously then you've got Imran Tahir who of course you selected with your first pick with the Manchester Originals back in 2019 how important is it a guy for like Imran Tahir who's played all around the world played pretty much every situation has all this experience to stand up maybe when your fourth fifth sixth bowlers are kind of guys who are either young or replacements? Oh, death taxes and to hear taking wickets in T20 comps. That's that's the big three, right? Richardson is one that has perhaps gone a little under the radar for quite how good he's been for the last five years, let's say. I mean, he's been brilliant big bash after big bash after big bash, even in a couple of Renegades teams that haven't been particularly strong with the ball. He's always stood up. So... I think he's in many ways sort of ideal for them right now. He's had experience of bowling in bowling attacks that aren't necessarily tournament winners in their own right. Um, so he's going to be a real leader for them, I think. And then 
as you mentioned, Benny Howell is just Benny Howell. He does Benny Howell things. I think actually one of the really interesting ones for them is going to be the form of Moeen, who's had some quite expensive games through the blast and for England of late. Obviously, over the last number of years, we'd be saying Moeen was one of the keys in terms of being a, uh, a sort of gun bowler in that attack and a real leader. We're perhaps seeing a Moeen right now that won't be considered one of their primary options and how he can hold out his overs through the tournament could be really important as well. From a 43-year-old leg spinner who's going to be key to their side, I want to talk about the Southern Brave spin attack and go to a teenager, Rehan Ahmed. Obviously, the Brave are kind of in a something more difficult situation than maybe where they were last year with their bowling. Obviously, Tom Mills was incredible last year. I, I think it's completely understated how good he was in the 100 last year. Maybe not in quite in the same form, but still going to be good. Obviously, they're missing Joffre Archer. Uh, again, George Garton is out, has struggled with long COVID, had a tough game against the Phoenix. Don't know how much he's going to play. So I think it kind of brings in the op- opportunity for them to kind of bank a little bit more on their two leggies. Obviously, Linter had a good tournament last year. They brought in Rehan Ahmed. What do you make of that kind of bowling attack in general with Jordan and Mills? I don't know what they're going to do with the third team and maybe a bit of, and it's going to be a bit of James Fuller. Um, and then the two leg spinners, because it's, I'm not sure it's as good as last year, but it's it's different in a good way and that they've got a second leg spinner and that just kind of gives them a couple of other options, which I think is nice. Yeah, I think um, it, it raised some eyebrows at draft time when they spent 50k on Ryan Ahmed, but we've seen through the blast that it's justified. Uh, he really is a future star in the making. So maybe early on, we kind of looked at that squad they first drafted and went, the spin could be a weak link. Right now, it doesn't look like that at all. There's obviously going to be question marks with Mills currently out, Overton potentially going off to the test match over their seamers. Mm. Um, and that may well end up being a slight weak link. They look a very good side again. Um, I would be amazed if they don't make finals, uh, if not going all the way again. I think the weakness is probably the power play bowling, right? Because obviously Craig Overton did pretty well at that last year. We don't know how much he's going to be around. They were using stoyness in the power play the other day. None of their spinners in Rayhan Linter or even Dan Moriarty really have a huge amount of pedigree in the power play. Moriarty was used by Surrey quite a bit in that role, but didn't really do particularly well this year. So looks like a kind of combination of maybe Michael Hogan, bit of Jordan, bit of Mills, bit of stoyness. Even though they have those two gun leggies and those two really good death bowlers, is there a point where teams really just have to go at the Southern Brave as much as possible and say, well, if you're weak in this phase, we know you've got two gun leggies and we know you've got two gun death bowlers. We're just going to go at you from ball one, trying to obliterate you in the power play and get ahead. Because to me, that seems like the only real way that you can get after these bowlers unless there are some potential form issues. Yeah, we're likely to see that a lot through the tournament, aren't we? Um Michael Hogan obviously comes in with a huge amount of experience um, and has bowled quite consistently in that period for Glamorgan. So they'll definitely be banking on him uh, through the tournament. Whether they as a team are able to hold up through every power play, that could be a real weak link. Um, We're definitely going to see teams going after them. 
whether they can hold it together, that that's going to potentially define their season. It's interesting because I don't, I'm not sure when I've seen a Mahalo J. Warner team win their first game of the season. And I don't know how that's going to impact them, whether it's going to throw them off or completely take them to a new stratosphere, even though it was against the Welsh Fire. So Brave kind of seem like your favourites for this, I guess, with a kind of a number of other teams swirling round, which I think is kind of different to last year where it felt like pre-tournament the Brave were going to be the ones. They lost a couple of games and then came back storming. It feels this year there's, there's a lot of teams who maybe could win it, but no one who's, I don't know, necessarily preordained like the Brave, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think we're probably at that point. As I said, nobody's really stamped any authority on the comp so far, have they? No team has come out and looked brilliant for a full game. There's no one, I don't think there's even one bowling attack that's looked brilliant as a bowling attack. There's always been somebody's gone well or most have gone well, but somebody's been hit. At some point, we're probably going to see a team begin to emerge or a couple of teams begin to emerge. That's probably what the next week or so of the tournament looks like as a couple of real favourites, real front runners gets out there. As you say, it could be any any one or two of five, maybe. Let's move away from the teams that look like in contention and get to our one of our favourite topics on the podcast, which is the teams that look a little bit weaker. Um, I mean, obviously the Welsh Fire struggled last year. And again, this year, they, they look like they may be one of the ones to struggle. Obviously, they got thrashed by the Brave in the first game. The Invincibles kind of put them away quite easily in the second game as well. The Northern Superchargers, who obviously lost David Willey and Hybrid for a couple of games and kind of struggled within their absence. And then obviously a team that you know very well that I imagine we'll get to at the back end. But, but in terms of the in terms of the fire uh, and the superchargers, where have they gone wrong early in this tournament? And where can they go from this point? Because they seem like two teams that have quality, but seem a little bit flawed, especially if they're losing their best players for the Fires case, Bearstow, the Superchargers case, Brook and Willie. I think we spoke a lot around draft time about how the fire would go about restructuring and gone and sort of tried to adjust from a quite poor base last year. A fair place to them, they've tried something different. I think we've got to keep some faith that they're going to come good at some point. Um, there's some very talented players, particularly at the top of the batting order, that it would be a surprise if they go through a full tournament struggling to fire. I don't think they'll be quite as bad as they have been before. Um, I think there are still holes there, and it's obviously incredibly hard to go from being really poor one year to suddenly being one of the top teams. Um, but yeah, probably mid-tables as much as they can hope for right now. I'm interested to know what you kind of made of the Welsh Fires off-season in a sense, because what we talked pre-draft about what their aims would be, I think me and Charlie kind of discussed that they kind of went about things in the draft kind of the way we wanted them to. And it, I think in general, they seem to do a good job, but it just seemed like with the with the talent available in the draft and what they had as a base, it would just be very difficult to really make any great changes. So now having seen them for a couple of games, what do you kind of make of that off-season? Yeah, they've obviously brought in some big money players, 
perhaps headlined by Joe Clark at the top. And they'll be hoping that a batting lineup with him and Banton at the top will go big at some point. It, they've taken some risks in that because they've gone so batting heavy. Um, I mean, having Clark, Banton, Duckett, Miller, all within their top few brackets, they've spent cash on that batting lineup. Um, so there's always going to be question marks about the bowling on the back of that. That's fine if the batting does go well. We've seen for the first couple of games that it hasn't, that's not worked, and the bowling's probably where we expect it to be. Um, but it's fine to take that risk, and it may be that if a couple of those really come into some form, it's enough to carry them places. When Bairstow was in great form last year, we saw how good, how much of a difference that made to them in their first few games. They'll be hoping for a similar impact from somebody like Clark. I guess the Northern Super Creaky kind of went a different situation to the Welsh Fire. The Welsh Fire invested in really young, talented, top-order players. The Superchargers went in and got Bravo and Wahab Riaz with those kind of top picks. Two guys who have phenomenal T20 experience, but you're you're banking on the experience rather than the youth. What do you make of the Supercharger sides? It just feels like they haven't quite got their balance yet. They're depending on David Visa to kind of bat in, in that lower order and then also bulky overs. They're playing role of Van der Merwe as kind of more of a batting depth piece when Callum Parkinson, if you look at the numbers, is probably a far superior bowler at this point. It just feels that they haven't quite worked out how to put their best side on the park, even though, again, you look at the ind- individual contributors of the likes of Michael Peppers had a good year, Adam Leith finally looks like he started to work out the 100 now, he's rid of the Bowl brothers, you've got Brooke, you've got Willie, you've got Faf. It just doesn't seem that they've quite worked out how to put all the right pieces in the right places yet. It's probably quite reflective of their tumultuous off-season, isn't it? The fact that they've gone into their opening few games with uh, a replacement player in Pepper batting at three. The overseas wildcard visa, as you say, not just batting six, seven, but also bowling death overs. Their domestic wildcard reign has played every game. So they've not gone in with the players that they've walked out of the draft with in key roles. There's quality in that team in places, as you say, some of them perhaps past their very best, but we still see good returns game on game from people like Bravo. He's still one of the best death bowlers going around. I mean, I said it at the time, I can't quite believe they managed to get Adam Lyth for 40k. Who managed to talk him into that? Incredible. Having played against him, well, not literally played, but having worked against him, um, he's always one of the most feared players in the North group um, from a blast point of view. For him to walk in at 40k was an absolute steal. And to have him and Brooke and not be paying top dollar for either of them um, really gives them flexibility. It's something they probably won't get away with next year. But right now, it's allowed them some flexibility to be in an okay position. There's obvious holes in that lineup, but there's also enough there that they could do okay. Um, They probably need Brooke to stay away from the test team 
and any future Lions games. I saw he peeled off another 100 for them yesterday. Um, he's seeing it like a beach ball, isn't he? Um, so the more he plays, he's going to win games by himself. Uh, he's that good a player. So they could they could knock off some teams. They could be there or thereabouts, but there's equally so many holes in that lineup and, and so many slightly strange roles going around that it would be a surprise to see him in the top three, I think. Highbrook, obviously, just in utterly incredible form. And I don't know when he's going to play for England, in what format, and how often he's going to do it over the next year or so. But at some point, it seems like he's going to make a pretty clear mark on the international scene. You mentioned Adam Live there, and I kind of want to go slightly deeper into that, obviously because I am one of Adam Live's foremost fans, really. I think he's a fantastic cricketer. And for so long, I've, I've been shouting, I think, into the ether about how he's one of the better T20 openers on the English circuit. You mentioned he's one of the more feared players. How do people like yourself who work in the blast and have to come up against live see him? What are your kind of initial thoughts when you know you're shaping him as Yorkshire? Obviously you do that multiple times a year and you know that he's coming out to the crease. What does he bring to the table that can be so difficult to deal with? He's, he's just such a fast starter. Um, he has the ability to obliterate any power play bowling. Um, we've been lucky enough to get him out fairly early uh, in a lot of the games more recently, um, but he's certainly been a nemesis of Lancashire at times in the past, and he will be a nemesis of plenty of players through the 100. Yeah, it, it's his ability to get going and hit big right from the start of an innings. Uh, so no bowler feels like they can just settle into a normal top of the stumps, back of a length early on because they might just get smashed out of the park second ball. There aren't many batsmen who couple that with a good enough technique to cope with any other bowling that might be better. Yeah, it's he's somebody that would be not far off a kind of best team of the blast over the last four years. So for them to get him, as I say, at 40k was an incredible bit of business. And obviously took down Reese Topley, who is in pretty good form and is probably going to the T20 World Cup later this year. Obviously, the Manchester Originals also haven't quite fired yet, but they have got the firepower. Max, you know a couple of their players very, very well. Obviously, they've got the likes of Matt Parkinson, Tom Hartley. Richard Gleeson obviously isn't playing yet. He's had a great season for Lancashire. If they can fire, I, I think there's absolutely a way that the Originals can compete. And you'll know just how good the likes of Parkinson and Gleeson are. Yeah, I mean, Gleeson in particular bought the speed of light for us in, in a couple of games. Um, so he'll be a huge addition if they can get him on the park. Um, similarly, from a speed point of view, um, Stanley that got called in as one of the late replacements has some serious wheels if they can get him out there as well. As you say, they've not quite fired yet. Uh, the game against the Superchargers was perhaps a little bit of a surprise. The batting went quite well to get uh, 160 or so. On a used track, it was interesting that they're not able to defend 160. Um, I think that's something that they've been quite disappointed in, having been quite focused on, on how uh, to play well at Old Trafford. 
Richard Gleeson's been fantastic for you. You said he's been bowling the speed of light. Obviously, he's now bowling the speed of light for England. That must be pretty great for you guys to see him come back from these injury issues, perform so fantastically in the blast. And after having this very kind of long path to first a professional cricket, and then I guess the top level of domestic cricket, to see him playing for England must just must be a lovely thing. Yeah, genuinely one of the nicest guys in the game. Um, I think everyone's absolutely thrilled for him. And any opportunity that he gets from here is just a bonus. Um, I think he's worked so hard. I think he kind of expected at times that it might have been over. Um, So for the success that he's had in the blast, playing for England will have been a, a huge moment for him. But who knows where that ends? I mean... He could go to a T20 World Cup. He could end up in the IPL. Anything could happen for him. And that's massively exciting. Um, I don't think it will have done his IPL chances too much harm by knocking over Kohli, Sharma and Pantin in a, in a debut against India. But I think it's shown where we've all seen for a number of years, his best is absolutely exceptional. And I think it, originals will just be desperate to get him out on the park. I imagine they will be. We'll see how all of these teams get on. A couple of mailbag questions for you, Max, before we go, if that's all right. One from our very own Charlie Peters, who had a couple for you. The first off, I think I'm quite, we're both quite interested, but specifically Charlie's interested to know, who are those kind of young players that you're looking at this tournament? We've we've had chats in the past about the kind of players that you quite liked coming through. Obviously, Will Smead already kind of hitting the the strides this year as one of those young guns, um, as is Andrew Brooks and a lot of others. But but who are the young players in this year's tournament that you're really excited to see you get going? I think one made a debut last night, uh, Jack Haynes at uh, Invincibles. He looks a serious player for me um, in all formats, actually, going forward, but particularly just a clean striker of the ball in in T20s and obviously coming into the 100 now. Um, had a couple of injury worries last year, but I think he, he could be a real pickup for them and could be a key part of their team for a number of years. Mike could be a really interesting one at Trent Rockets. Maybe not youngest going around, but he's somebody that's improved really dramatically year on year for Leicestershire and is now getting to the stage where he is a genuine top six, seven batter and top one of your main five bowlers. Um, so he could be a surprise packet, I think, for, for Trent Rockets. And then from an overseas point of view, um, Noor Ahmed, he's obviously been on the scene for a few years now, but he's still under 20. Um, and his best is absolute wizardry, isn't it? Um, I remember seeing him in the under-19s World Cup a few years back. Um, and we've been sort of looking at him for a while. So it would be really great to see how he goes through a full tournament. Um, it's also quite odd kind of concurrently working in the 50-over competition because all the young players who do well in that are then obviously looked at as potential replacement players. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure there'll be a, a few more come in and are able to immediately make a mark on the rest of the tournament. 
Obviously, it's nice for Ben Mike to be at the Rockets, but that's finally the first Leicestershire representation that we've had of that team that uh, currently represents us, I guess. I've been clinging on to the fact that Samit Patel is was born in Leicester, and that's about as good as it's getting. So hopefully Ben Mike gets some game time. Uh, another one that's going to come in, and we've discussed this a little bit previously with you, is trends across the tournament regarding the new rules. Uh, obviously, we have the not really new rules anymore. They're, they're coming into a second season, but these ten ball sets um, the bowlers are able to, and we've seen teams kind of use it a bit more than I thought they would. Specifically, I think it goes kind of goes back to the the conversation we had earlier, where you mentioned you know teams are quite keen to keep their best bowlers on or bring on their wicket takers after wickets to try and run through batting lineups. We've seen bowlers who've taken wickets stay on and try and keep that momentum going. Uh, and teams are sticking with it, despite the fact that it maybe didn't quite work as well last year. So it seems like teams are kind of feeling that like they're able to keep going with that and still see it as a potential advantage. Yeah, it's one, if I'm totally honest, I'm a little bit suspect about the um, the use of the 10 for somebody who's just taken a wicket. It, it really depends on who that bowler is and, and kind of the rest of the innings, who's walking in. Um, but I think maybe at times you started to see some teams thinking, well, fine, if you're going to bowl your best bowler, we're happy to just block that out for a batsman's first five balls um, and maybe only take three off it, and that's not the end of the world. Let's say if it's Narine or somebody. Um, so... I think teams do have to be careful with it and it has to be the right time, which it has been for a few occasions, but I'm not sure that everyone's quite got it right as yet. The interesting one on the new rules has obviously been how many teams have struggled to make the cutoff. Um, that's going to become a big theme as the tournament goes on, isn't it? And it'd be really interesting to see how teams start to get around that, um, whether it be having bowlers literally running back to their mark, whether it just is getting through quicker or I wonder whether teams might start to use their timeout smartly to help them meet a cutoff in terms of sort of getting in, planning ahead and, and making sure everyone's in position ready to go for a change of ends. I guess that would maybe be that you use the timeout when you're about to bring on a death bowler, maybe with 20, 15 deliveries to go against a set batter, you know you want those two minutes to formulate your plan. Maybe if Karen Pollard or Andre Russell is in and starting to look good, I guess you just want that extra time and then you use that time out to just think, how are we going to deliver the next 10, 15 balls to Pollard? What's going to be our plan? How can we make sure we don't have to keep muddling around with the field? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think it's one of those that, with so many teams missing the cutoff, there's going to be coaches, analysts, captains around the country that are scrambling for ideas of how can we do this? Because it's never just quite as simple as, well, let's just get everyone around a bit quicker. Um, because bowlers will want to take time or fields need to move or left and right hand combinations, changes of field, that sort of thing. It, it is never quite as simple as it seems, but it will definitely be at the forefront of minds because it's going to cost games to some teams. Absolutely. Max, it's always a pleasure having you on. Always lovely getting your insight. So best of luck for the rest of the uh, Royal London One Day Cup and the rest of the season for Lancashire, mate. 
Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Cheers.